Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. In this episode, we are going to be sharing a story that, honestly, I'm surprised that I haven't shared yet. And it is the story of the Buddha. Now, this is a really important story, not only because it shows the foundation of where this school of thought originated from, but also because of so many important lessons that have parallels in our own lives and things that we're actively experiencing now or that we've experienced in our past. So I'll get right into it. So the story of the Buddha goes like this. The Buddha was born into a royal family as a prince and went by the name of Gotama. Before he was born, his father, the king, was visited by an angel. And this angel said to him, your son is either going to be the greatest ruler the world has ever known, or he is going to be a great spiritual leader. And if he becomes a great spiritual leader, then your family will lose power over the throne. And thus, the father, the king, being a practical man, decided that he wanted his son to grow up to be a great ruler and the greatest ruler that the world had ever seen. So he wanted his son to fall in love with the world. So when his son was born, he decided to make a perfect kingdom filled with pleasant experiences, beautiful people, healthy people, prosperity, and overall aesthetically pleasing things to look at. He made the environment pristine for his son. And he made it this way so that his son would never experience pain or suffering. He hid that from him. And in some ways, maybe he was being a good father, not exposing his son to death and decay and suffering, especially as a young boy. And he wanted the best for his son, and he wanted him to grow up in a practical manner that would serve his best interests. Now, as his son grew up, as Gotama grew up in this kingdom, the kingdom was walled off, and within the walls was everything beautiful and pristine, everything prosperous. Outside of the walls was a different story. And as the prince would look at the, these walls, he would become increasingly curious and ask his father to go beyond the walls. And his father said, you don't want to go do that. And eventually, as the prince persisted, the father decided, okay, I'll let you go. However, the father was not going to do this without some conditions. So what he decided to do is clean up the city around the kingdom, around the enclosure, and make sure that there were only healthy, beautiful people there, that there was prosperity, and that everything was clean and pristine, so that his son would have the exact same experience and would not encounter pain and suffering along his journey. And he sent him with his attendant. Now, what the gods had in store for this experience is that the father's efforts would be insufficient, that they would not work, that no matter how hard he tried to clean up the city and clean up the environment and cover everything negative, that it wouldn't be enough. So upon entering the city with the attendant, an old man walked by, hobbling over, poor, in rags, missing teeth, without any posture and difficulty walking. And this shocked the prince. The prince looked over to the attendant and said, What is that? And the attendant said to him, Well, that is an old man. And he said, A man like me. So you're saying this could happen to me. And the attendant said to him, No one can escape aging. And yes, eventually this will happen to you. And so the prince was terrified and he ran back. Ran back to the palace. Into comfort. Into safety. And then he mustered up the courage to go out again with the attendant. And when he went out this time, he encountered a sick person. 
covered in sores and boils, coughing and decaying right before his eyes. And once again, scared, he asked the attendant, he said, what is, what, what's happening with this person? And he says, well, this person is being ravaged by disease. And he says, well, I too am like this person. Is this something that can happen to me? And he said, yes, of course. No man is exempt from the ravages of disease. And so once again, the prince ran back into comfort, into safety, until he was able to muster up the courage to come back in to the city. And as he came back into the city with the attendant for a third time, he saw a funeral procession. And he looked at the attendant and he asked, what, what is going on with this person? They're so still and lifeless. What, what, what is this? And said, this person is dead. And around him, where you see grief and sorrow, are his loved ones feeling the pain of this loss. And he said, he's dead. And then the prince replied, and this too can happen to me? And the attendant responded once again, Nobody can escape the mortality of our existence. And so terrified, the prince wanted to retreat back again. But this time the attendant was given instructions to bring the prince into a party in the forest with beautiful women who were throwing themselves at the prince into a very pleasant and pleasurable experience. And so the attendant brings the prince. Yet the prince is not compelled by any of these physical pleasures or temptations, because all he can think about is death, decay, and the ultimate destruction of everything beautiful that he knows. And so he's distraught. Upon going back to the palace, the prince decided that he would leave the palace in the middle of the night and escape. And so the prince left, went into the city, renounced his possessions, and decided to live a life of poverty. He witnessed a spiritual man meditating, yet in rags, and he said to himself, this person has nothing, yet they seem at peace. And so he began to live a life of poverty, and he encountered other spiritual teachers. And these spiritual teachers, also in rags, told him that they starve their bodies and strain their bodies so that their spirits could be free. So the prince began to starve himself, until... He was skin and bones, while also practicing samyak, which is a precursor to yoga. Following the practice of samyak, he mastered yoga and all the physical discipline that yoga entailed, mastering every single position. And so he had gone the aesthetic path, starvation, renouncing his material possessions, and disciplining himself into a practice of yoga to the point where he was doing everything perfectly. And yet he still didn't have answers. And so he decided to retreat into the forest by himself. And he sat under a tree and began to meditate. After several days of his meditation, he was visited by visions and temptations. The first temptation was life itself attempting to lure him back in with physical pleasure, trying to get him to give in to what he knew was only temporary, to what he knew was void of answers. He denied this and rejected it. He was then visited by the angel of death who showed him the opportunity to exist permanently and in a total state of bliss away from the physical world in nirvana. 
But once again, the prince rejected that. As he caught a glimpse of this, he returned it. He meditated for 49 days and became awakened, which is what the word Buddha means, awakened one. He realized in this state that life can never satisfy because we'll always want more and the suffering never ends. He had been both rich and starving and realized that neither pain nor pleasure gave him the answers, but instead he learned to begin to detach and live in the middle way. Not a slave to pain or pleasure, but instead living with a sense of equanimity, and then came back to the physical world to share what he discovered. He realized that because humans have a shared social aspect, as he realized, that it was of no use for him to attain enlightenment by himself without bringing along the rest of humanity, to which he began his teachings for the people around him. Now, this is a pretty deep story and runs through some themes that really create a lot of emotional charge within us sometimes. When we think about aging, when we think about illness, when we think about death, all of these things can be extremely triggering for a lot of us. And the thing is, we want to remember from this story, the answers do not exist in deprivation of oneself or indulgence of oneself. The answers do not exist in pain nor pleasure. But they exist in the middle way. The middle way is a state of presence. It is to be here and now, in all that is. Now, there's some interesting symbolism to this story that parallel a lot of the other stories that some of us may have grown up with. For example, the gods intending that the father's efforts would be insufficient in sheltering his son when he went off into the city are very symbolic and draw parallels from the Adam and Eve story, where no matter how beautiful and perfect the garden was, the serpent was always lurking beneath and would emerge to tempt Adam and Eve. Now, this is true of our own lives as well, that no matter how much we try to control things, no matter how disciplined we are, no matter how much deprivation of the pleasures we give ourselves in order for everything to be perfect, the temptations will always show up. And on the other side of the coin, no matter how much indulgence we have in pleasant experiences, no matter how much positive vibes we try to put out there, things will always come up. For the nature of life is both of these things. It is not all about seeking pleasure, and it is not all about the pain of discipline and doing everything perfectly. But rather, it is the middle way between the two of these. It is to be perfectly and simply human. Now, I know for myself, my upbringing, I learned at a younger age that material wealth and pleasant experiences will not free you from yourself. And at best, material wealth without wisdom will act as a numbing agent from that which you keep in the shadows of your mind. I know for me, in my upbringing, my mother passing away when I was a kid, it took away the, the innocence of childhood of everything's going to be okay and everything is perfect. And it took it away at an early age. To where I realized that the world isn't fair, that the world is not only filled with pleasant experiences and the sheltered experience that I was having, but that there's real pain, there's real sorrow that exists. And this forced me to grow up quickly. Now, what was interesting about this is that my mom's side of the family always attempted to shelter my cousins and I 
from the pains in the world. The thing is, they were able to, in some sense, pull this off with, you know, my other cousins and my family because they hadn't experienced the death of a parent like I had. And for myself, I was always able to see through it, not because I wanted to see through it and I wanted to rebel, but because I knew that a lot of it was a facade. It was a facade because of what I experienced. And the experience of losing a parent or the death of a parent is an undeniable experience to which no one can take that away from you. No one can take away what that experience means to you. No matter how much somebody shelters you with pleasant experience or or shelters you with material wealth. So I realized that I couldn't solve my own pain simply by buying into all of the material possessions, the material wealth, the the goodies, if you will. <laughs> I couldn't solve my own pain and suffering through this. I had to find my middle way. And when I say that, you know, material wealth can act as a numbing agent, oftentimes when, when people have money without the wisdom, without having learned what it takes to earn that money, like I had in my life, it often acts more as a numbing agent than one in which that you're able to use constructively. So when I say a numbing agent, I mean there are pains, there are things about yourself, there are quirks and things that you find weird or bizarre that you hate about yourself that ultimately become insecurities and we try to hide those insecurities or forget about them using money. And that's that was the case for myself. So no matter how much prosperity I had in my life, it was not addressing the inner chaos that I was experiencing. And I would try to resist this inner chaos, especially when I got into personal development when I was in my early 20s. And I was very, very much a proponent of the positive thinking movement and mentality, this this thing that seemed to be becoming more and more popularized at the time. And I was one of those positive vibes only people, but in that positive vibes only mindset, what I noticed I was doing is I was trying to, I was basically doing what the king was doing with his son. I was trying to hide all that was negative. I was trying to hide all that was unpleasant about myself or about life. And in trying to hide that, I realized that it would only come back stronger. Because as Carl Jung says, what we resist persists. There was an article written by Shoshan Shea, and the link to the article will be in the references in the show notes. And here, and in this, and Shoshan refers to Carl Jung in saying, what you resist persists. And he writes, in other words, even our lifelong strategies of thinking harder or further rationalizing and or attempting to ignore our feelings can become ineffective in pushing pain away. This is not necessarily a bad place to be in your life. According to Buddhist nun, author, and world-renowned teacher Pema Kodrin, feelings like disappointment, embarrassment, irritation, resentment, anger, jealousy, and fear, instead of being bad news, are actually very clear moments that teach us where it is that we are holding back. They teach us to perk up and lean in when we feel we'd rather collapse and back away. They're like messengers that show us with terrifying clarity exactly where we're stuck. This very moment is the perfect teacher, and lucky for us, it's with us wherever we are. Now, when I read that, (laughs) it hit me pretty hard because I realized that a lot of my life was this. A lot of the inspiration for the development of the intentions and delusions came out of the attempt to resist pain the attempt to ignore negative feelings and do so in the name of positive thinking and of being 
and, and having an abundance mindset. And in doing so, I was actually pushing away what was real. And what we want to realize is that oftentimes some of the greatest gifts of our lives come through negative or unpleasant experience. And these are gifts that come with us wherever we are. And thus, Zen Stoicism is heavily directed on using your emotions as a compass, not to obey whatever your emotions tell you to do. For instance, if they say, I feel anxious, so I should have ice cream. Like, that's not, that's not at all what's happening here. <laughs> what it's really saying is that you use your emotions as a compass, that when there is painful emotion, when there's unpleasant emotion or negative experience, we use that as a compass to address what is going on rather than allow it to slither under the surface, rather than try to perfect everything like the king was trying to do for his son and hide all of it away, what we do is we confront it, we become present to it. If we do not become present to it, there is no middle way, there is only a right way, and everything else we view and demonize it. And in the demonization of these things, we hide them in the shadows of our mind. In hiding things in the shadows of our mind, they bubble up and they manifest themselves in different ways along the course of our lives, whether that comes up as a constant anxiety, being depression-prone, being angry, or even having physical illnesses, that which we hide, that, that which we resist, will persist. And it's important for us to dive into that and not shy away from it, not try to hide it, not forbid ourselves from ever thinking negatively or forever entertaining the negative thoughts that we might have. Because there is an undying curiosity within human beings that will always cause us to look beyond what we are told is right and wrong. And the dangers of positive vibes only is that it tells you that anything unpleasant or negative is wrong. And that is the problem. The avoidance of it will only serve to make it worse and cause inevitable suffering and unnecessary and excessive suffering in, at that. So especially when we are feeling the need to avoid something or we're afraid to, we, ha we want to remember that we have a need for autonomy and that we do not like it when we're told what to do. So the price we pay for autonomy and freedom is the realization of our own limitations and fragility. This is what the prince realized when he finally ran away from the palace and what he had to come to terms with is that he was out in the world, limited, fragile, and a temporary being. And he had to realize this in order to become awakened. It was part of the path. Now, using the Zen Stoic intentions to reflect upon and govern our actions will lead you to your middle way. And the middle way is the path to living your liberation. The intentions will point you towards presence. The delusions will point you away. And if you haven't listened to those episodes yet, I'll put them in the link of the show notes. Those are really, really important as they are the core of Zen Stoic philosophy. This is how you put Zen Stoicism into practice. But remember, your emotions will be your compass. Unpleasant emotion will show you where you're blocking yourself. And pleasant emotion usually serves to reinforce actions and words. But we want to keep in mind this as a caveat. These are not absolute statements. And so what I mean by that is there's a very specific nuance here. Pleasant emotions generated through, de through delusion often will feel uneasy, contrived, or like you're trying to convince yourself of something or trying to talk yourself out of the agitation or discomfort of the current feeling that's being created. If this comes up, take a moment to reflect deeper. So an example of this from the story of the Buddha, for instance, is that the father 
was trying to control the destiny of his son. He was trying to resist the possibility of his son becoming a spiritual leader and was trying to control the destiny of him to become a great ruler. So these are two of the Zen Stoic delusions, resistance and control. What he was also doing is trying to use pleasurable and pleasant experiences as a way of preventing his son from seeing anything that was oriented around suffering or negative experience. So he was using expediency. And the father knew of the dangers of the world and he knew of the negativity he knew of everything that would cause one to suffer in the world he was fully aware of this and yet put up a facade for his son to be able to experience the world in a way where there was no suffering whatsoever so there was an element of performance there another delusion so all four delusions existed in the plan of the father that he was trying to make it so that everything looked good and that his son would be on a very specific path towards a specific destiny that would make him fall in love with the world and want to be the greatest ruler the world has ever known. So the father, I would imagine, had some pleasant emotions there. So it's not to say that pleasant emotions always tell you that you're on the right track, but pleasant emotions in this case based on where they came from, were coming from a place of delusion. Now, when your pleasant emotions come from delusion, they will often feel contrived, uneasy, like you're putting on a fake smile, like you're going through the motions of what it is to be excited or happy, but on the inside, you're feeling very off-balanced and wobbly. So pay attention to that nuance. That is a very, very important nuance that we want to keep in mind because if we're coming from delusion, we're almost every time we're going to feel exactly that. It might feel positive-ish, but at the same time, there's an uneasiness or a discomfort to it. Here's the difference. Pleasant emotions generated through intention feel effortless, balanced, and present. And oftentimes, when pointing in the direction of intention, so when you're being intentional, when you're leading with one of the four intentions or when you're leading with one or more of the four intentions and you're being intentional, so either if you're leading with embrace, understanding, discipline, or sincerity, you often will not even acknowledge or notice the feeling due to being present in the here and now. So it's very rare that while you're actually in this state, you're going to be thinking to yourself, I'm going to embrace now or I'm going to be sincere. Or I'm going to be disciplined in this pursuit. You will not even feel that because you're so present that you actually forget about your own individual egoic experience and instead become completely present through your intentionality. So using the Zen Stoic intentions will tell you whether or not you're trying to correct and fix everything and make everything perfect and beautiful so that you don't suffer or you're not exposed to suffering like the king did, or it will tell you if you're being completely present in the here and now and you're finding your middle way in your words and actions. And we want to remember that humans are a social animal. We are only as strong as our weakest link. And it's like Alan Watts said, the hostile attitude of conquering nature ignores the basic interdependence of all things and events. 
that the world beyond the skin is actually an extension of our own bodies and will end in destroying the very environment from which we emerge and upon which our whole life. This is important because it is through delusion that we become hostile, that we become, quote-unquote, selfish. Imagine a world where all people were able to find their middle way and not dominated by pain or pleasure, but rather being perfectly and simply human. This is what the Buddha was espousing. This is what he was teaching upon experiencing nirvana and choosing to come back to bring the rest of the people with him. I remember that particular experience of the Buddha coming back reminded me of a conversation I had with a friend where I was actually telling her about how the death of my mother inspired me to want to do this work, inspired me to want to create Zen Stoicism. And she asked me, why go into service instead of just living happy, free, and for yourself in your own healing from the experience? And I said, well, because I know that my own healing is severely limited if I keep it to myself, and thus the bounds of my development are stunted. So I'm selfishly being selfish and selflessly selfish. (laughs) That's a tongue twister. But the point is, if the Buddha had kept that experience to himself, his own growth personally on a selfish level would have been stunted. It would have been deprived because of acknowledging and aligning with the nature that humans are made for each other, that we are interconnected social beings and that we are only as strong as our weakest link. So it is not conducive for one of us to be enlightened if not all of us are enlightened. And that is the path. In Buddhism, that is called being a bodhisattva, which is attaining enlightenment and then coming back to the world to teach it to people rather than just staying in nirvana. This is something that Marcus Aurelius would talk about a lot as well, is that he meditated consistently on the interconnectedness of all beings. And, it is, and it's important for us to realize that it is in one best personal interest to share with and help others. Not just because you want to be altruistic, but it literally will make your experience better. So as you use these intentions, these delusions, as you use this philosophy, you don't use your development just to benefit yourself, but you show others through your actions, through your words, through your compassion and empathy for them. And, and when you have pain and when there's unpleasant experiences and there's fear and everything like that, just do what the Buddha said. Let that shit go. All right, maybe the Buddha didn't say it exactly like that, but there is a magnet on my fridge uh, that says that. The Buddha said that. (laughs) But the point is, pain nor pleasure will offer us the answers. It is somewhere in the middle. In order for us to create that awakening, it begins with welcoming all of ourselves, not just our quote-unquote virtuous selves, not just the parts of ourselves that we are proud of, but also the depths of ourselves, the parts of ourselves that we've hidden in our shadows. It's like Alan Watts said in Waiting for Magic, you can begin from your very weakness. That's your strength. It's not your big ego, your big will that is strong here. It is your sloppiness. It is your weakness. It is your foolish side that is your strong suit. Look to your weakness and flaws. Alan Watts. As you... Listen, as we wrap this episode up, 
Keep in mind this thought. Look to your weaknesses and flaws. These are the parts that every <clears throat> these are the parts that people will typically tell you to ignore, avoid, or forget about. But don't look at them from a dramatized perspective where you go on a campaign to beat yourself up. Look at them with a sense of presence, with a sense of respect. These are the parts of yourself that you attempt to hide most. Look to your anger, your sadness, your fears, your frustrations, feelings of guilt or shame, the things that you dislike most about yourself. And do not do it from a perspective where you are indulging in these feelings and trying to make yourself feel better. Do it from the perspective of presence, of empathy, compassion for yourself, and ask yourself, what are these emotions really trying to tell you? It is these things that you have hidden in the shadows of your mind that are some of your greatest gifts. They are the gifts that will set you free. They are all this all these unpleasant emotions are the signals to yourself of exactly where you are blocking yourself, exactly where you are stunting your own spiritual, mental, and emotional growth. Become present to them. Bring light to that which you've cast in the shadows. And you will start to notice yourself become much more at peace with who you are. You cannot just bathe in positivity and bathe in pleasant experiences. You must uncover that which holds you back. Take the time to reflect on these emotions, experiences, and thoughts which you used to believe were negative. They will reveal to you the answers that you seek.